We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. This morning, it's our great honor to have with us special guests in our service. I first want to introduce uh, family members of Marisol Martinez. We're so glad to have Nancy and George with us here today. They drove up from South Florida to be in service with us. So welcome to you. We're delighted you are here. And this morning, uh, most of you know and remember Marisol. She's been here a couple of times promoting uh, Royal Family Homes and uh, on Sanctity of Life Sunday in January. She's brought a great word both times. But today, she's brought her husband with her as well. First Sergeant Carlos Martinez, USA retired. Carlos spent 23 years in the United States Army, deployed over a dozen times to hot spots and war zones around the world. I would like for you one more time to stand to your feet and welcome to Christian Heritage Church, Sergeant First Class Carlos Martinez and his wife, Marisol Martinez. Pastor, hallelujah. You're such an, it's because we're both, you're such an amazing church. You you may be seated. I want to first of all say thank you so much, so much for the heart of missions that your church has. And my piece this morning is to share exactly that, the heart of missions. You see, God's heart is the heart of missions. That's why he sent Jesus. Amen. The, the biggest missionary ever, to come and introduce salvation to a very lost, lost world. As a military wife of 23 years, I'm going to talk to you briefly about missions in our home and in our lives. What the enemy attempted for evil, the Lord turned it around all for his glory. In combat and in these countries in the Middle East, the gospel is not allowed. You can't just go in there and tell people about Jesus like we can in the United States. And that's why your church plays such a critical role. Because ever since I've met your pastors and their assistant pastors, they're mission-oriented. Your church is a mission-minded church. And I want you to know what mission-minded churches do in the hearts of mission-minded military wives and mission-minded soldiers. So the soldier has a role that he has to play in combat. And my husband's going to tell you about that. But my role as a military wife during his years was to seize every opportunity to introduce the gospel to the lost. And I thought that's what you do in the United States. Until one day my husband called me, and he was somewhere in the Middle East. And he said, "Um, I had a dream last night, and in the dream the Lord spoke to me. And he said, he wants me to lace the feet of the children in this country with love. So I believe he was in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And he said that in his dream, he saw these children who had no shoes. They had no shoes. And it was very, very cold in this country. It's very, very hot, but in the winters, and it's the desert, it gets very, very cold. So he stepped outside, and he saw hundreds of thousands of children with no shoes. And so he heard the voice of God that said, lace their feet with love. So in his mind, he calls me the next morning and he says, I need you to send me, I need you to send me shoes. And I said, okay, what, do you want your boots? Do you want your combat boots? Which ones? He said, no, I need you to send me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shoes. I said, what do you want shoes for? Because he went on and he told me about his dream. He said, I walked around this morning and I saw out of the compound how these children live in dire straits with no shoes. 
and it's snowing and it's cold. And I thought, you want me to send you hundreds and hundreds of shoes? What size? He said, it doesn't matter. What kind of shoes? It doesn't matter. Just send me shoes. And then I asked, how do you want me to pay for it? It doesn't matter. And how do you want me to send them? It doesn't matter, but I need them here in a couple of days. So here's a soldier who took on a uniform and saturated himself as a missionary. And in the United States, here's a wife that's clueless, but loves the Lord and loves her soldier and said, okay. So within a month, within, it was less than a month, we compiled 2,000 pairs of brand new shoes as I went around to different churches and different Christian schools in our area asking for shoes and introducing the program. It really wasn't even a program, but it became one. And as the program grew, more and more shoes. So I thought, well, we'll get gently used shoes until my pastor's wife said, no, we're not going to send you shoes because we're going to teach the Muslim countries that our God, he's not a God of second hand. Amen. We sent 2,000 pairs of brand new shoes. And then I thought, how am I going to pack these? Well, I had a packing team, and we had a church packing team, and we packed them up in boxes. And then he called me and said, I need them in three days. You want me to send about 30 boxes, computer-sized boxes, to the Middle East in three days. So I went to the post office, and I said, my husband wants all 20, 30 of these boxes in three days. And the postmaster, she laughed. And she said, okay, 30 days. I said, oh, no, you have to do it in three days because he's leaving, and they have to disseminate these shoes around. And she said, that's not going to happen. But we prayed the night before over these shoes, and this was our prayer as a missionary church, what you are. You are such a missionary church. You are such a mission-minded church. We prayed and we said, Father, we ask that when these shoes lace the feet of those children, God, that supernaturally these children, which are the next generation of maybe insurgents that are going to come against a soldier, maybe a Taliban that will come against a soldier, but Lord, what if not? What if when these children place these shoes on their feet, Father God, they feel something so supernatural and you begin, Father, to work in their lives because one soldier said, maybe we can't win this nation in speaking to them, but maybe we can win this nation in praying over their children. And so I prayed that at the post office and I said, Father, you do what you have to do. And all 26 boxes, if I remember correctly, got to him in three days. That's a praise report because that was impossible. Not only did the boxes make it, but the funding came. The shoes were new. My husband and his team were able to go into different areas, into different villages, and bless them with shoes. So the underlining factor here was to introduce Jesus as the King of Kings and to send shoes that were prayed for. We will never see these children, I don't think, on this side of eternity, but I wonder, on the other side of eternity, if someone will tap on a soldier's shoulder and say thank you, because I'm here because of my shoes. The shoes that were anointed. The love for the country began, and we really wanted to work. And then life happened, and then the mission happened, 
And I think that's where my husband will pick up the pieces. But I beg you, church, don't stop being a missionary church because on the other side of eternity, who will say thank you because Christian heritage gave? I wonder. Amen. God is good. I want to thank you and thank your pastor for having us out here today. And uh, I want you guys to remember that tomorrow is Veterans Day. And uh, your pastor did a great job having us come up here. And uh, I just want you to remember that, <clears throat> you know, I, I've had a lot of people ask me, how can, you know, of veterans, where, where are they and stuff like that. And I, I always tell them, they're in your community. Just, just look for the hat <laughs> or look for the bumper sticker. But they're in your local Walmart, they're in your local grocery store, they're out there. And, and I'll tell you one thing, they don't know what to say to veterans. And I don't know if all the veterans in here will agree with me, but if you're a civilian and you come across a veteran, don't ask him how many people he's killed. I always get that question, you know. Actually, I'll tell you something. I, I went to a school to talk and a young man came up to me, and, and you can use this, for, I'll tell this for, for the other veterans, they can use this. I had a young man come up to me, first thing out of his mouth, how many people did you kill? I looked at him, I said, I can't tell you because I'm still working on it. He <laughs> kind of backed up, I was like, yeah, okay. Listen, don't ask him how many people they've killed. Ask him how many people have they helped? And then ask him this question, how can I help you? Amen? Amen? We're going to uh, get into the word here real quick. So uh, if you can stand with me while we read the word. We're going to go to 1 Kings, verse 9. No, 1 Kings, chapter 19, verse 9. I get my, my numbers kind of mixed up here. When you get there, say amen. 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 When you get there, say ho. Or hoorah. hoorah. I'm not exactly sure what the Air Force says, huh? What do you say? They're sleeping. I, I, I tell you, I tell you. All right, amen. We're going to read the word here and we'll pray first. Father, we come before your presence in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And we ask you, Father, that the word that is spoken here today may be to glorify you, Father, that it may touch hearts, souls, and minds in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask you that whoever hears this word, that it may be a seed planted into their heart and that they may not walk out of this place, Father, the same way that they walked in, that you may transform them, Father, just like that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So we start on uh, verse 9, and the word reads, There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very jealous of the Lord's Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death. To the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass. Look at your neighbor. Say, the Lord is about to pass. Say it like you mean it. The Lord is about to pass. Amen. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then the voice said to him, Then a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He put his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very jealous of the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you a little bit about a great prophet of God, Elijah. Now here we're talking about a mighty, mighty man of God. Sometimes he's compared with Moses because Moses gave the law and Elijah came to establish it and tell people, hey, this is it, you know, to, to push it forward, to let them know. He's also compared sometimes with John the Baptist who went out and, and, and started to preach the way of the Lord. And when we look at Elijah, his name actually means Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And one of the things I admire about Elijah is when he prayed. Elijah was able to pray and he was able to, God spoke to him, he was able to close the skies. He was able to uh, uh, bring the word of the Lord to the people and let them know that there was going to be a great drought and then he was able to pray and, and call fire from, from the sky, you know, an actual firefight for my combat veterans here. But one of the things I admire about Elijah, and I want to remind you, is when he prayed, he called upon the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I want to let you know, when you pray, Make sure that you're praying to the God of Israel. Mention his name. Don't just go out there when you pray and say, I'm praying for you in the name of God. There's too many other gods out there, and people are going to be confused. So when you pray, make sure that you are praying in the name of the God of Israel. So here is this man hiding in a cave, and you might say, what you know, how do we get here? A mighty man and God hiding in a cave. And I can actually tell you the reason the Lord gave me this is because I've been in a cave. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to take the opportunity to be in a cave, but it's a lonely place. I was able to assimilate with them when I read this. To be in a cave, in a dark place, empty. And then he, he, he uh, tells the Lord... I'm jealous. I've, I've been doing everything you want me to do, and here I am. You ever feel that way? Like the more you push for the name of Jesus Christ, the more you do, the less that happens. It's almost like we want to say, God, if it wasn't for you, if it, it, it would have been better for me not to know you. I was better off without you. You ever say that? I have. I have. I've said, you know what? I, I'm better off without you. Because of you, this is happening to me. You know, my life was great before I had you. And now look at me. I'm stuck in a cave because you told me to do your work. And I tried, but your own people 
the Israelites, your own people, the people that you're sending me to that profess you are rejecting me and trying to kill me. And God says, I'm coming to talk to you. And then we hear about this mighty wind. We hear about this earthquake and we hear about this fire. Now, I don't want you to get this confused with the storm because God is in the storm, but this has nothing to do with the storm. You see, to come in the presence of God, sometimes we have to be blown a little. Sometimes God has to shake us a little bit and that fire needs to come in order for us to be in the presence of God. You see, God has to put us through a fire before we can talk to him face to face. And God tells him, I'm about to talk to you. You need to step out. And he steps out. And in a whisper, God says, what are you doing here? Just like that gentle whisper when my Messiah was on that cross and he said, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. He comes in a whisper. And I want to tell you, when God asks a question, what are you doing here? It's more than just one question. I don't know about your God, but my God is a God of multiplication. So even in his questions, you have to look at them and ponder a little, because when he's saying, what are you doing here? It's more than just a question. He's asking, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? It's just not a simple question of, why are you here? God also asked uh, 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 Adam and Eve in the garden, where are you? Don't you think that God knew exactly where they were at? You know, sometimes God wants to ask us these questions so we can, for our own benefit, ponder what he's asking. Now, this reminds me a little bit about my mother. God rest her soul. She was a tiny little thing. One thing that my mother, I'd never, I've heard a lot of things from her mouth, but one thing that my mother, never came out of my mother's mouth was, wait till your father gets home. She took care of business. <laughs> Never, ever heard her say, wait till your father comes home. She took care of business. Now, we, we grew up in a small, well, it was a tight-knit community. If you went anywhere within a two-block radius, they knew who you were. No, uh, no, no tweets, no uh, cell phones. You know, we didn't even have a phone, to tell you the truth, because that was a luxury, and we couldn't afford that. But wherever you were at, they knew. You know why? Because the neighbors knew. And, and if you did something, by the time you got home, she knew. She knew about it. That's after you got a beating from all the neighbors. <laughs> they took turns. That's how, that's how your mom knew you were in trouble. They, they would just beat you all the way till you got home. Amen? Yeah. Oh, nowadays you can't do that because there is no community. There is no community. But I remember if I did something bad, usually it wasn't me, but it was my brother. It was always my brother. <laughs> if he would do something bad and he would come home, my mom already knew what he did. And he would stand in front of her and she would ask him, what did you do? And after he would lie a couple of times, he would fess up because she knew and he knew that she knew. And I would always wonder, why is she asking him, what did he do? Just beat him. But why are you asking him when you know what he did already? 
it was so he could speak it out loud. So when he talked about it, it was a revelation to him. And after he said it a few times, it, it, just, it would come to his mind how stupid his action was. Now, I know stupid is a bad word in my house. It's, it's degrading, so we don't use that word. But My kids are older now. But he's asking him, what are you, what are you doing here? But in order to find out what we're doing here, we got to go back. Because it, it, it was a process to get here. And in order to do that, we have to go all the way back to chapter 18. And we see Elijah. He's running around. He's fighting the, 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 the prophets of Baal, right? And Baal were the, the, the gods of, of these, pa these pagan gods. And they were all about harvest and life. And God told them, hey, shut down the sky. Because if they're about life, we're going we're gonna to shut it down here. And he shut it down for three years. And the Lord hit him and he came back and he, he rebuilt the altars and he said, bring out those prophets out here and we're going to battle it out out here. And there were 450 prophets on the, on, the, on the other team and just him standing by himself. And he said, I'm the only one out here, but I'm going to do this for the glory of God. So they built the altars and, and then these other 450 guys started calling their God and trying to get the thing to burn and their sacrifice, but it doesn't happen. And then Elijah says, everybody step back. I got this. And he says a couple of things and boom, the whole place catches on fire. Burns everything. He's feeling good. I mean, he just, he just slicked these guys. So now he takes these guys and he grabs them and he says, don't let any of them get away. We're going to kill them all. Man, that, that's, that's a whole battalion he just went up against. 450 guys plus another 400, that's an entire battalion against one man. And he licks him. And then he goes back and he, he prays again and it starts raining. Because rain brings life. And the real God brings life to the dead. Amen? So, so here we are, and he's feeling good, and he's like, yeah, I got this, and he's running around, and he's saying, all right, the Israelites are now, everybody's going to serve God, and then what happens? It doesn't happen the way he expected it to. And the queen, Jezebel, says, you know what? I'm going to kill you. And he runs for his life. I want to talk to my runners. Any runners here? And I'm not talking about track. I'm talking about spiritual runners. Those people that are running from what God has for you, what God has told you to do, the mission that you're on and you've given up. A woman tells him, I'm going to kill you, and he runs. She must have been Spanish. <laughs> she must have been a Latina. They're a little crazy, but hey. So he takes off. And I'm going to, what, what makes you, what makes this man of God run for his life? Do so you see already he had planted a seed when you read in, in, in chapter 18 that um, he was the only one. It was already starting to get in his head. Now the word of God says that he feared for his life. There's some translation that say he saw. And I'm not talking, there's two different things here. I'm not talking about scared. Scared is when you see a mouse and you're like, oh, a mouse, and then it, the mouse goes away and you're okay and you keep going. I'm talking about fear. And it says he saw. 
And I looked it up, and the kind of fear that he saw was he already envisioned that he was going to be killed before she even tried to kill him. See, because it's one thing to know or, or have somebody threaten you and say, I'm going to kill you, but they've never killed anybody. But it's another thing when somebody who has killed says, I'm going to kill you. When you look into the face of that enemy and he says, I will kill you, it gets inside of you. So you already start thinking about what you've seen, the people that he's killed or she's killed, how they've done it, the torture, and it gets inside of you. And it, it, and it says that he saw, it, it went inside of him, and, and it says that this fear flowed out of him. It, it oozed out of him. That is the fear that made him run. That is the fear that the enemy tries to put inside of us to make us run. He says, hey, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to take your children. I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to split your marriage. I'm going to kill you. But I want you to remember that he is a roaring lion, or wants to be a roaring lion, looking who he can devour. Devour says, I'm, devour is when you sit there, trust me, I've, I've been hungry. You sit there and you, it, there, you leave no evidence that devour. You know, sometimes a, a lion devours his prey and just there's nothing left. He wants to devour it. But I have a secret for you. He would devour you if you let him devour you. Because he goes around roaring. He's already giving you a warning that he's coming for you. So you need to prepare yourself before he comes. So it says that Elijah ran for his life. He hides under a tree. Here we find a mighty man, a God, hiding under a tree. And what does he say? Lord, kill me. Take my life. I'm done. You ever been there? You ever been in that place where you say to yourself, I am done. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Same thing over and over and over. These people don't listen to me. I'm no better than my father. My father was a drunk. So I'm a drunk. My father did drugs. So I'm going to do drugs. My father sinned. So I'm going to sin. I'm no better than my father. He was talking about the Israelites when they left Egypt. They seen all the miracles that he did for them. And what did they do? complain and turn to false gods. And he said, take my life. Anybody ever here say, Lord, just, just take my life. I'm done. I'm going to bounce back a little. My, ch my son learning how to drive. My son graduating, teaching my daughter how to drive. Graduation, anniversaries retiring, going to a new home, spending time with my beautiful wife on the beach, <laughs> being here today. I'll explain that. I want to talk to you and tell you my name is Sergeant First Class Martinez. I've been 23 years, three months, 14 days in the military. And my dilemma started August, no, 2005, I was flying a mission over Iraq, over the Euphrates River, and we took small arms fire. Our uh, 
pilots, some of the best pilots, some of the people that have ever been trained. I, I, um, I wasn't buckled in. We were headed to a hot spot. And all of a sudden, the chopper tries to bank. It actually banked so high that it would have, if it would have gone any higher, it would have flipped over. I wasn't buckled up. I fly over some boxes. I hit my head. I mean, I seen the little birds and everything. Hurt my back, hurt my shoulder. Got a couple of discs that got out of place. And that was the moment I thought it was over for me. That was the moment I said, this is it. I bought the bullet because we're going to go down. And when you hear that thing that people say that light flashes before your eyes, it's true. But what was important, I wasn't worried about paying bills or what I needed to do. The first thing that popped into my head was my wife and my children. And I knew I was going to die that day. We had one guy that wasn't buckled. He almost fell out of the chopper. I can hear everyone kind of yelling and screaming, and I can just hear all this ruckus, but there was nothing I could do because I was down for the count. But I can, I can hear everything, and I'm like, well, we're not dead yet. And, and I thought about my wife and my kids, and I said, Lord, give me another day. And I knew that if we crashed, we were going to fall into the river, and if we landed anywhere other where close in the bushes, it was over because I was going to take myself out before they caught me. And that's the kind of life that we lived, always having that extra round in there. I count my rounds just in case because I was going to save one for myself. I came back home and things started to change. Now, I want to stand up here and tell you they were shooting at me. I put my chest out and all the bullets started bouncing and I protected everybody. But that's not always the case. Things started changing. I was not feeling well. I started to get dizzy. I was losing my balance. I was starting to forget things. I went to the doctor. They said, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just a little jet lag at that time. They weren't looking for traumatic brain injuries. So I kept on pushing on, just like you do in the military. You suck it up, you drive on. You suck it up, you drive on. You suck it up, you drive on until the wheels fall off. And you keep the cycle going and going and going and going. And I'm going to tell you something. There's so much going and, and going and going that you can take before the wheels they don't fall off, but they start to get flat a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Because when you go to hell, it gets on you. But if you stay there a little long, it gets inside of you. That's right. And it, that, that just coming home and deploying and things started to change. And I was starting to get a little upset and, and I would hear noises and I would get jumpy. And, and, and I started arguing with my wife just for no reason. My children were scared of me and I, and I, and I couldn't understand it because... Uh, a few months ago, I was praying for them. You know, I want to see them. I want to spend time. And I'm back home and I'm pushing them away. And, 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 and it's hard to explain, but you could see but so many things. You can go through so many things before they start to get inside of you. Little did I know I was suffering from PTSD. I had chronic PTSD, as they say. After six deployments in the Middle East and another six or seven in South America, I could see how it could get to you. But I felt comfortable because that was my environment. I was safe there. I would come home and argue with my wife and I would say, man, I can't wait to get out of here. And I was praying, Lord, push them away. And it got to a point where I said to myself, you know what, Lord, take me with you. I went back another time to Iraq and... and, and, and 
or one of the stands, and I stands till I can't stands no more, right? I went back to one of these other places, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm, I'm just asking God to take me out. Let this be the day, because it is enough. And I tell you, all these brothers and sisters that are here, it, it, it kind of gets on you, and it's enough. And if you are a veteran, and you've been in combat, or just being a veteran, it, it gets to you what you see. You can only take with so much. Here's Elijah depressed under this bush, and I say, how did he get here? And now he wants to die? That's hopelessness. You see, fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to anger. Anger leads to depression, and depression leads to hopelessness. I was hopeless, but here's the kicker. I was a youth pastor. Amen? Afraid to tell everyone around me, hey, I'm having issues. Because I didn't want to be judged. Afraid to go to my battalion commanders and and the people that I work with because I didn't want to lose my security clearance. Afraid by myself. Never have I ever been so lonely in my life. I actually prayed to the Lord. Lord, just take me now. I'm no use to my family. I'm no longer any use to my team. You ever been there? You ever been in this place? You know, a lot of veterans here suffer through that loneliness. Because we're a team out there. I had somebody to watch my back. Here I am not sleeping anymore. Why? Because back in the field when I was sleeping, there was always somebody up watching my back. And now I have to take care of myself. Are you wondering why... Your loved one who just came back from the military is not sleeping. Listen, it got so bad that I would, I would wait for, I would show up from PT in the morning and I would just hang around and wait with this anxiety, this desperation, this fear. And, and, and I would argue with my wife just so she could leave the house on time, just get out of the house. I just didn't want to be around the people that I loved. Here I am after I had asked the Lord to let me see them one more time. I was waiting for them to leave so I could move the couch in my house and sleep behind the couch. Just a few hours. All I needed was 30 minutes, 45 minutes. You know how it is. Just to get myself rejuvenated. And everybody would ask me, how are you? I'm fantastic. Can't wait to get out of here again. Isn't that what we say when we come into the church full of problems? full of this grief that's pulling us down, this hopelessness. We just smile at our brothers and sisters and at the pastor. Hey, how you doing? Oh, praise Jesus. I'm fantastic. Now, I'm not saying that anxiety is, is, is a, is a uh, sin or anything. You know, the Word of God says that, that um, anxiety will come. It is when we take that anxiety and we don't, and we internalize it and just keep feeding off of it, that could lead to a sin. You see, because it is fear that separates us from God. Because when God came down and he started calling Adam and Eve after hanging out with them, what was the first thing that came out of their mouth? Oh, we heard you, but we were afraid. See, fear separates you from God. They say that at the cross, uh, before Jesus went to the cross, he was afraid and he prayed, Lord, if this cup can pass by me, take it. Do you really believe that our mighty God, hanging on the cross, couldn't call down 
all the angels in heaven to come and get him? Do you think if he really wanted to call the, the, these battalions to come down and help him or, or not really have to go to the cross, he would have done it? He wasn't afraid of the people. He wasn't afraid of the crowd. He was afraid of that split second when he knew that his father would turn his face away from him. And that's what we should fear. I ask you, what is your fear? Is it being in the dark? Because I'm going to tell you, if it's being in the dark, darkness physically doesn't exist because it can't be measured. Darkness is only the absence of light. Light could be measured. But if you're scared of the dark, let me tell you, and you're in a cave where it's dark, God was hovering above the darkness before the earth was even created. You say, brother, you don't know what storm I'm in. He said, hush, be still to the winds. But we've forgotten where he's brought us from. You have forgotten the miracles that he's done in our life, and now we run in fear. So here I am in Afghanistan, hoping I would die, driving recklessly, putting my team in jeopardy, hoping t today would be the day that I step on a landmine or drive over an IED just to finish it off. And then I come home, and, they, and I just can't take it anymore. I tell you, I won't tell you how, but I plan to take myself out. I say, I'm going to wait for everybody to take off, and, and I'm going to just finish it. I'm just going to end it because I'm tired. It was hell in my home. It was hell. Am I better? I still have my nightmares, my night sweats. Now, I might sound kind of weak for coming up here and saying all this stuff for you, but this might help somebody else. And I asked the Lord, take this away from me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. I said, take it away. I can't deal with this anymore. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for us. I said, Lord, then if you're not going to take this away from me, take my family away. So I kneeled down and I actually prayed, Lord, make them stop loving me in case something happens to me that they won't suffer. But it was because I didn't want to suffer. And the Lord, listen, he answers prayer. He said, I'll do this, but I won't stop loving you. And that's when I realized that I needed to get help. And that was, that was after I had spent three days, three nights, sleeping inside of a closet. Because I was so afraid that the enemy was coming to get me. I started imagining all this stuff. I was being anxious for stuff. That wasn't real. Stuff that hadn't happened, but in my mind's eye, it was playing over and over and over. And I could see the faces, and I could see the faces of the little children in the hospital in Afghanistan who had lost their arms and their legs. There was one little girl that we went to visit who lost both eyes because a sniper was practicing on her. You can only take but so much stuff. And we see... God stepping out and calling you so you can tell him what's wrong. So he reminds me and he reminds Elijah, I've been there for you. 
I gave you the mission. I called you. And if I called you, I'm not done with you. God's not done with you. You need to turn around and go back the way you came. He tells Elijah, go back the way you came. Because some of us need to go back the way we came. Because we got some devils to deal with. And unless we go back the way we came and take care of business, we're going to wind up right back in another cave. We're going to wind up in another cave. We're going to continue to spin our wheels. But thank God for that voice that calls us out of the storm and says, forgive those. You see, that is the road to recovery. The first thing is confessing. And that's what Elijah did. See, Elijah had taken what God had given him and he turned it around and he started, instead of putting God in that place, he put himself. If you read it, it's I, 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 I. What's in the middle of anxiety? I, I, I. There's only a me in team, but there's an us in Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So he calls us. And he calls him and he says, you know what? Your mission is not done yet. God told me your mission is not done. And I'm not going to take away the nightmares. And I'm not going to take away the sweats. And I'm not going to take away some of your fear because I need you. And you're going to keep it. And I ask, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why are you punishing me? And God says, I don't punish anybody. But I got to keep you humble. That is my internal struggle. That is why I need to stay humble, because God knows how many times he saved me, and I turn my back on him. And God will continue to let you run around till he replaces you. If you read further on in, in Elijah, he actually replaces him. And that was my fear. Do you want to be replaced? God has something for you. Do you want to be replaced? He sends him out and he says, you go back and you anoint this person and take care of her and, and find Elisha. He's going to replace you. Are you really sick and tired of me? Are you tired of my blessings? Have you really forgotten everything that I've done for you? Do you remember the time that, that, that you were in Afghanistan and you needed to be in a certain place at a certain time and one of your guys got up late? And I was so angry and frustrated. I said, I need a cup of coffee. We're not going anywhere without a cup of coffee. And everybody's kind of afraid. And I said, we're going to stop and get coffee. We needed to be on the road at a certain time. And I missed my, my hack time by like five minutes. I went to the coffee shop, got a cup of coffee. I was supposed to go pick someone up at, a, at an airport. And there was only one way in and one way out. I was going to be the first, we were going to be the first vehicle on that road. Five minutes Five minutes. I stopped to get a, get a cup of coffee. It didn't take that much longer before they came inside and said, the first vehicle that went down that road hit an ID. That could have been me. And I forgot all about it. And I turned my face from God anyway. And that wasn't the first time. And it wasn't the last time that he saved me. You see, he saved me to be here today. Do you remember those dates that I gave you when I told you about teaching my son to drive, his graduation, my daughter's graduation, teaching her to drive, our anniversaries? That's everything I would have missed. You know, there are 
20 veterans that take their life every day. Every day, that's over 7,000 veterans a year. Some people were actually happy when they did the census because it was 22 veterans a day. But I say one veteran a day is too much. Amen. It is hopelessness that is causing our veterans to take their own lives because there is no more sense of community. God told Elijah, listen, I got another 7,000 saved that haven't been their knee. You're not alone. You're not alone. You may think you're alone, and the devil's trying to tell you that you're alone, but you're not alone. See, I'm with you in the storm, and I'm with you when you come out of the storm, and I'm with you before you even got into the storm, because I'm going to tell you, if you try to run from God, if you're trying to run from the uh, omega, you're going to run straight into the alpha, and if you try to get away from the alpha, you're going to run right into the omega. So there is no escaping God. There is no escaping the word of God. If he has a plan for you, I tell you, finish it. Your will be done, God. I thought I was going crazy. I bet there's a lot of people. You ever, you ever find yourself in a place where you think you're going crazy? Anyone? I mean, I almost lost my mind before I even came to God. And here I am losing my mind again with God. But I came back to God, and I told him, and I spoke to him, and I was able to get it out. See, God wants you to confess, first and foremost. He just wants to hear you. You're not alone. You are not alone. I'm going to ask you to stand as the, uh, the, the, the music players come. And I want to remind you that you're not alone. I don't know what kind of storm you're in. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know what kind of sit rep you're going through. And sit rep is short in the military for situation report. We had to give our situation report every single day. But there wasn't one sit rep that wasn't as important as that sit rep you gave when you were in a firefight. That was the most important sit rep. See, that was the opportunity for you to gather yourself and find out what's happening. Am I injured? How many people around me are injured? How many beans and bullets do I have? Am I going to be able to get back into this fight? I don't know your situation. I don't know your sit rep. But I want to tell you that you're not alone. You are not alone. If you've ever been in a cave and you feel lonely and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you to step forward. God gave Elijah a new mission. You see, he said, I am not done with you. You, you die when I say you die. You go when I tell you you're going to go. Listen, it, it, he, he probably bugged him so much, he didn't even see death. He took him up in, 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 a, in a chariot of fire. But you are not alone. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to prove to you that we're not alone. Why are you here? Why are you here? How did you get here? What's your story? Look around you. Look around you. Turn around and look around you. You see all these people? 
You know why they're here? Because they've been through the same thing you've been. You understand? You know why they're here? Because they need the same thing you need. See, you're not alone. That brother and sister next to you has been through the same exact thing, and they're with you. That's why we come to church. Because we're not alone. I'm going to make a call, and I'm going to ask my brothers and sisters, listen, if you ever felt alone, I'm going to pray for you. God helped me, and he can help you. Just like that. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.